Uh, hello, family. Good to see you guys. We are here to worship Jesus. So grab your Bibles, open them up. Matthew 5:38. Matthew 5:38. Um, today, Jesus is going to show us what greater righteousness means in regard to uh, justice in light of the gospel. Um, just so you guys know, this section and next week's section, they are the most uncomfortable, uh, controversial, and difficult teachings of Jesus. They're the most uniquely Christian teachings. Um, and so I got my work cut out for me before Easter. <laughs> when you hear what Jesus is about to say, I want to prep you for this, because something's going to happen in your brain, all right? When you hear the words, your, his words, your brain is going to automatically start looking for a way to dull the sharpness of his words uh, or find a way to try to escape what they mean. Like, that's not really what he means. And that's maybe that is, but it's not for, for me. Just it'll happen. Okay. And here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want for you. I want you, whenever that happens, just to resist that impulse whenever it's triggered, okay? I, I want you to, to not look for the quickest exit door. I want you to let Jesus put you in a paradox because you know that he's after your ultimate flourishing because you know that he loves you. And so with that said, let's uh, give our attention to the reading of God's word. Matthew five thirty-eight to 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, you alone can rightly order the will and the wants of our hearts. Grant your people grace to love what you command and to desire what you promise so that our hearts may be more surely fixed to where true joys are found. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now, forever. Amen. Amen. On March 9th, Corey Pulhos, uh, who was a manager at a, a Dunkin' Donuts in Florida, he pled guilty to fatally punching 77-year-old uh, Vonnell Cook, and he was sentenced, uh, punished. Now, according to the court records, Cook was a regular customer who tried to order coffee at the drive through window on May the 4th. This is this year, by the way, May 4th this year. But the employees had trouble hearing him, hearing his order. And so he began berating them for their poor customer service. He was asked to leave, but instead of leaving, he parked his car and he went inside to confront the employees. 
When Cook appeared inside the store, Pujols asked a co-worker to call for the police. Prosecutors said that Cook began yelling at Pujols, who is black, and once Cook said the, the racial slur, Pujols walked around the counter and he told him to not say that again. When he repeated it, Pujols hit him in the jaw and Cook fell to the floor and he hit his head on the floor when he fell. He died three days later. Court's records show that Cook was a registered sex offender. They have a word for what this is. This is a textbook example of what we call a tragedy. That's a tragedy. I mean, who was right in this? Who was wrong? Whose rights were violated? Everyone's. Everyone. Who walked away justified doing the right thing? No one. You see, what started out with anger, if you notice the Sermon on the Mount, how it starts with anger and then murder, and then you see how it goes along? What started out here with anger, it escalated to abusive speech. Insults, which that escalated to retaliation, which then escalated to death, destruction, and shame for everyone. Both those men's lives are and were forever changed. You see, when we are wronged, brothers and sisters, when our rights have been violated, there is this very strong uh, primal impulse within us that wants to retaliate in the name of justice. In the name of justice. We want to put things right. Something was put, been put out of whack, and we want to put it back in place. We want to put things to right. And there's this impulse that we want them righted right now. Right away. And moreover, we want to be the ones to put it to rights. But tragically, retaliation leads to this never-ending cycle of escalation instead of flourishing. You can see it on an individual level, and you can see it all the way, scale it all the way out to uh, on the level of nations. But what if, what if there was a way of living in the world that could break this cycle of revenge and escalation and destruction among offended people, among violated people? What if there was a way to live that on the one hand did not ignore the need for justice, but on the other hand neither upheld our current notion of justice as revenge? What if instead it, it, this, this enlarged our vision of justice so that more people could flourish, not less? Wouldn't that be great? Well, that's exactly what we find Jesus teaching us here in this passage. Here's the big idea for today, guys. Greater righteousness is a heart that seeks generous justice in light of the gospel. Let me say that again. Greater righteousness is a heart that seeks generous justice in light of the gospel. So what does generous justice look like? Okay, well, I'm glad you asked because I have some answers for you, okay? We're going to look at three, three ways, okay? 
it looks like these three things. Generous justice, according to Jesus, by the way, we're using his definition. Generous justice does not flex rights in every instance of wrongdoing. Let me say that again. Generous justice does not flex rights in every instance of wrongdoing. Uh, Meet me in verse 38 and 39 here. This is Jesus speaking now. He says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I told you these are difficult teachings of Jesus, right? See, God knows that when we, you and I, He knows the real world that we live in. Isn't that great? And He knows that when you and I are offended or we are uh, uh, insulted or injured, we have this deep impulse within us to seek retaliation in the name of justice. They killed my heifer. So I... I'm going to burn down their entire crops and their house. And that'll teach them a lesson. They won't do that again. It's that spirit of Lemek, right? That we talked, we talked about. They insulted my wife. I want to slap their face on international television. You think this stuff doesn't happen today? It's not relevant? It's real relevant. It's pretty fresh, right? We need to hear Jesus, brothers and sisters. In order to curb our impulse for revenge, listen, God laid down a law. It's called lex talionis. And that's Latin for limited retaliation or limited justice, actually. Okay? Limited justice. And so, and and listen, this is what I found really interesting. It was an incredibly progressive improvement on how all other cultures in the world understood justice. I mean, the closest example that we have of this is called the Code of, uh, uh, Vanessa, help me, what is it? Code of Hammurabi. That's right. Code of Hammurabi. If this is the case, then you do this. If this is the case, though, you do that. And the God of the law, the God of the Old Testament, was like way improved on that. That was the closest thing they had up to that time. In fact, God's version of Lex Talionis was so progressive, it was so attractive, it was such an improvement on any other culture in the planet that it actually caused foreigners to want to become Israelites. You know what that means for the guys? They're like, I love God's law. I like God's law. I want to live under God's law because it's a blessing. It's an improvement. It's a good way to live. So let that scramble your categories of like, you know, grace and law. They love that. Lex Talione says, if someone took out your eye, then the court had the right to take out one of their eye, one of their eyes, but not both eyes, which would leave them blind and then in destitute. Uh, It said that if someone punched you, you got in a fight, and they knocked out one of your teeth, the court had the right to take out one of their teeth, but not cut their hand off or not kill them as compensation for the tooth that you lost. 
You see how this is proportionality. That's where we get today this idea that justice is proportional. It comes from God. It comes from the Old Testament. So, and you notice this, Jesus says this in verse 38. Listen, Jesus actually affirms the goodness of the Mosaic law in verse 38. And by doing so, he affirms that all humans have certain rights. That's what verse 38 is. And so when we are wrong, he's saying this, look, when we are wrong, we have the right to call it wrong. And we have the right to seek justice, compensation of some sort, restitution. We have the right to hold wrongdoers accountable for their actions. But we do not have the right to be a vengeful, vigilante, self-distributor of justice. We work through the courts, a third party, to establish justice. Okay, And he affirms this. But if you look in verse 39, and Matthew's like really compacting this, by the way. But if you look in verse 39, Jesus interprets the fuller, deeper meaning of the law of lex talionis. That's what he's doing in all these passages, right? What's the deeper, fuller meaning of the law? That's what he's explaining right here. What was the purpose of that? He says, you heard that it said that, and I agree. But he's saying, but what was the purpose? Why was that written? What was it supposed to do? You need to look at the intention of what it was supposed to do, right? What deters out-of-control escalation? What controls out-of-control retaliation from breaking out in a family and destroying a family? Or in their neighborhood? Or out on the road? Or in Starbucks? Right? A law that limits retaliation. That is a deterrent. It deters that to a point. But Jesus, in verse 39, he goes one better. He's asking us to think this way. What stops retaliation and escalation before it ever starts? That's where you want to get. What does that? Here's his answer. You and I exercising a generous justice in the world. Jesus, in this very compact way, basically says this, do not resist the one who's done evil to you. That word for resist, that's actually a legal term. It's a legal word. He's not talking about physical resistance. But he is talking about legal resistance, like using the courts, suing. In fact, they talk about suing in here, right? He's saying, look, don't take them to court even though you're perfectly within your rights to do so. Don't resist. Restrain. That's what Jesus says. Now, now I know what you're thinking. You don't like Jesus right now and you want to ignore what He's saying. You're like want to tune Him out, right? Your brain is telling you it's going like this. But what about abusive situations? But what about war? But what about standing up for those that are powerless and they can't stand up for themselves? You know, see, I told you that would happen, remember? Then I? It's happening. And so let me just say this one thing and then we're going to move on, okay? Because I can't answer all those questions in the little time that I have. The, the, the rest of the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament speaks to all those different situations in much greater detail. Listen, because what Jesus teaches here accommodates those nuances. Because what Jesus teaches here accommodates 
the nuances of those situations. So what is Jesus teaching here? Jesus is trying to shock you and I into a whole new way of thinking. He wants us to have a whole new way of thinking. He's not giving us like new rules to follow absolutely in every situation that comes up. Jesus is calling us to become a new person. I keep saying this over and over. He's not giving us these new rules to follow. He's telling us, this is a person you're supposed to become. This is a virtuous person you're supposed to become in the world. A virtuous person who lives by a very different set of values than what the world around you values. So here's the principle of generous justice. We do not flex our rights every single time that we're wronged. That does not mean that we give them up absolutely, and it does not mean that we give them up permanently. Generous justice simply means that we do, it's about being a person, right? It means that we do actively look for a way to maybe suspend our rights temporarily or occasionally in this particular occasion. You see, this takes wisdom. This takes nuance. This is the wisdom teachings of Jesus. Maybe this will help. New Testament scholar and historian Craig Keener says this, quote, Jesus is not so much revoking a standard of justice as calling his followers to not make use of it. He's calling his followers to not make use of it. They qualify justice with mercy because they do not need to avenge their honor. Close quote. You see, the Jesus way of doing justly, doing justice, actively looks, uh, is actively looking for a way to absorb the wrong. Here's what I'm feeling, but I'm also at the same time, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for a way. Is there a way I could absorb some of the wrong? Is there a way I could absorb the offense, if possible, in order to break the cycle of suing and countersuing and endless litigation and clogging up the court systems and escalation? Again, generous justice is more of a virtuous way of being in the world, which will require wisdom to implement in real-life scenarios. But we need to know what the principle is. Friends, let me ask you a question. Is there an offense that you could overlook in someone else? A family member, friend, maybe this week. Maybe, you know, you go out and you guys decide, you know, with your friend or whatever, you decide to split the restaurant tab. You notice they did not pay exactly 50%. They didn't exactly split the tab. They paid less, right? Could you absorb that without saying a word? Maybe they wrote a blog about you or a Facebook post about you that was destructive to your character. It was untrue. It was libel. And by law, if it's written down, you can go take them to court and sue them over it. Could you not resist them in that particular situation? I don't know, but it's well, Jesus is saying you ought to ask. You just ought to ask the question before you go and act. Do you see what I'm saying? You can do this. You can do it if you truly believe that the kingdom of God is coming 
and the king is coming. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can do this in the real world if you believe that God himself will perfectly right all wrongs no matter how small, no matter how insignificant they appear to other people. Yes, you can. He will rectify every, get this, every single abusive word or false witness that has testified against us. Listen. This is why retaliation doesn't ultimately satisfy. This is why even after we retaliate, we go away with an empty feeling in our heart. And we're still angry. You ready? Let me break this down. It's because all justice in this life is approximate. Okay? All of it. And you know why all justice is approximate? Because all justice in this world is analogous. Do you understand what I mean? I mean that it's an analogy. It is always pointing us to the real thing, which is God's full, final, perfect justice rendered on everyone in a completely satisfying way. And when his justice is rendered, it says it will be satisfied. And you won't, there won't be a court of appeals. And there won't be one more time. And there won't be, like, that's right. You did it right, God. And I'm satisfied. Right? And all justice in this world is approximate because it's analogous. And that's why retaliating and try to work that for ourselves with our own two hands is not going to satisfy. That's the satisfying justice. That's what it's pointing us to. See, to experience a flourishing life, a life where you and I have eternal life, we're really having abundant life, there will be oftentimes when we choose not to flex our rights. This is hard for Americans to hear, I know. But this preach everywhere else in the world. There are times when we don't flex our rights. We choose. We choose. Not because it's forced. We say like Jesus, I lay down my life on my own accord, and I have the right to take it back up. We act like Jesus. Nah, I'm just not going to do that. We choose to be taken advantage of in that deal that was made. On occasion. We choose to take a loss for now. We choose to be taken advantage of for now, for a little while. Why? Because our Lord says flourishing are those that are poor. They're living the good life. Contrary to what we're told. He says flourishing are those that are mourning. They mourn because they took a loss. He says flourishing are you. You're living the good life. Flourishing are the meek instead of the aggressive. We believe the justice that will permanently satisfy us forever and ever is coming with God. Second thing this means, generous justice offers the wrongdoers more than they deserve. Boy, this just gets more controversial and more controversial. So what happens when you preach Jesus. Generous justice offers the wrongdoers more than they deserve. So meet me in verse 40. It's right here. 
Jesus says, and if anyone, so he see that's situational. And if. He's not saying always, and if this is the case, right? So if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Offer it. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Lot to unpack there. Jesus has explained the deeper, truer meaning of the law, the lex talionis, right? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Now he gives us three more illustrations of what that might look like in real life situations. These are real day to day situations that people would be bumping up against, okay? Now, again, these are illustrations of generous justice. They're not new rules to obey, be obeyed absolutely, okay? He's just throwing out some examples. So the first illustration is about being unfairly taken to court and being sued. The tunic was, that was a man's undershirt, worn right up against the skin, all right? In other words, it's his possession. This is personal property. This is private property. This situation involves someone using the courts to take away a person's private property, which actually Jesus is affirming their right to have private property. I mean, there's so much in this. Okay? And Jesus says, generous justice looks like freely offering up your cloak as well to whoever's trying to take this from you. Now, the outer cloak was, it was kind of like a jacket. Just going to wrap it like that, right? That was the fashion back in the day. But for the poorest of people, this outer cloak, it doubled as a pillow that they'd ball up and they'd sleep on so they could get sleep at night and it would give them protection from the elements because when the sun goes down, it get cold out there, okay? Everyone, the point is everyone, even the poorest of the poor, had a human right to their outer cloak, okay? It was a big deal. In fact, if you go back and read your Old Testament, if you read the law and you read Exodus and you read the laws in Deuteronomy, um, there's explicit laws that legally forbid taking a person's outer cloak overnight when the sun, after the sun goes down or from taking it away from them permanently. You can take other things permanently, but you can't evict them from their outer cloak. They'll die. Okay? And so Jesus shockingly here, because he's trying to shock us, he shockingly says to give this unjust, this evil person, our enemy, your most valued possession instead of putting up a legal defense. Like, like offer it. He's not even trying to get it from you. You say, you want that? Fine, you have that and you can have this too. I'm going to offer it to you. It's very similar to the proverb that says, if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. And if she's thirsty, what? Give her drinks. Give her a drink of water. It's very similar to this wisdom tradition Jesus is pulling from. L listen, let me just ask a question. What might that look like for you in your life right now, in your scenario, the situation right now? Giving up maybe some kind of a valuable possession. Maybe it's just sentimental value. I don't know. Well, it depends on your situation, right? So I can't answer that for you. 
but you must answer it. You need to ask that question and you need to answer that in the different scenarios and relationships in your life. Let me ask you this question. Do you really believe that God will restore what you have lost when he comes to establish justice on this earth? Do you really believe that? Then you can temporarily on occasion give up some of your possessions. If you really believe the meek is going to inherit all the earth, then you can give up some of that for a little while. Amen? Do you see how practical this stuff is? Let's look at the second illustration. I got to go faster. All right? Roman soldiers, uh, Roman soldiers, uh, he's talking about someone forcing you to go a mile, right? Roman soldiers were not only employed for national defense, but they acted like modern day, for us, modern day police officers. They would interact with civilians on a daily basis, right? They had this dual, dual, uh, job. So Roman soldiers often would force Jews that they oppressed to carry their equipment, carry their rucksack, basically, uh, walk with them when they were going to go do their job. They were treated them like mules. It was degrading. Uh, they would tell the Jews, you're going to serve me, and you're going to serve this government that we represent. Now think about how repugnant this would be, how utterly offensive this would be if you were a Jew in the days of Jesus. Okay, So here's what would happen. They would just do the bare minimum. One mile... I'm done. I did, I did the letter of the law. Right? So let's think about that. Jesus comes along and he says, no, there's another way. There's a different way. It's called the generous justice. Generous justice means going the extra mile. This is literally where we get that phrase, by the way. <laughs> she went the extra mile, right? This is it. And he says, that's what we need to do. Go the extra mile and generously serve your enemy. Even if your uh, compatriots see that as like conspiring with the enemy. Even if they're going to talk bad about you. Why aren't you resisting that? Why are you helping them and serving them willingly? That's what giving is. Doing more than, even though you disagree maybe with their politics, even if you disagree with how they're exercising their authority, Jesus is saying, look, you do more than they're forcing you to do. This could be as simple as fixing the extra panel on a broken fence between you and your neighbor on the property line. You don't owe them that, but you decide I'm going to fix a couple extra panels and I'll pay the cost. I'll absorb the cost. That could go all the way to be as complicated as being respectful toward uh, disrespectful authority figures in your life. But as a Christian, our response is, gen is generosity in the face of scarcity. When respect is scarce, we're still going to give some respect. We're going to be generous people. Okay, We're not going to get in a scarcity mindset. Notice this third illustration when Jesus says, give to anyone who begs you. Anyone who begs you. He doesn't say, give to everyone who begs you. <laughs> Did you notice that? Otherwise, we would, if we all like, did that literally and absolutely in every case, like we'd all be naked, we'd all be poor, we'd all be homeless, right? So he can't be, do, he can't be that literal. He's given us a principle here. And by the way, Jesus doesn't say, if you notice, what to give them. 
does he? He didn't say, he didn't prescribe what we're supposed to give to someone who begs us or asks for help. And that might be money right out of your wallet. Or it might be a place to stay. Or it might be giving them respect. Or it might be giving them a job. Or it might be just giving them a ride. Or it might be giving them a drink. Or it might be giving you their time. And a listening ear. And some empathy. His point is that we're to give to those who are needy no matter who they are. Not everyone, he says, but anyone. No matter who they are. No matter what their social status is. No matter their ethnicity. No matter what. Right? Listen, in other words... Give whether you think they deserve your generosity or whether you think they don't deserve your generosity. That's what he means. Whether you think they're lying about their needs or telling the truth about it. We do not have to give to absolutely everyone, but we cannot justify giving nothing to anyone who asks us. Okay, that's the point. He says, give open-handedly. Lend freely. Can I borrow that? And you're like, I know you're not going to give that back. Like, I may see that in six months. He says, lend freely. I don't think he's talking about lend freely for them. I think he's talking about us, that we might be free. Even to those who don't deserve it. Even to those who don't deserve it. After all, has not Jesus treated you in that way when you needed his help? When you needed to borrow some mercy? When you needed some empathy instead of justice from him? New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg has this to say, quote, each of these commands requires Jesus' followers to act more generously than what the letter of the law demanded. Not only must a disciple reject all behavior motivated only by a desire for retaliation, but they must also positively work for the good. They must positively work for the good of those with whom they would otherwise be at odds. Close quote. And that gives some clarity here. Listen, this is a more restful way to go through life. It really is. Jesus says what? Come to me and I'll give you what? Rest. Well, this is a more restful way. He wasn't kidding around. You know why? You know why? Because you aren't always having to act like a private eye detective every time someone asks you for something. Doesn't that just wear you out? It wears me out mentally when someone says, hey, can I have a buck? Hey, can I have a ride? Could you help me out? You know why it's more restful? You are not always having to do moral calculus to try to decipher if that particular person is worthy and deserving of your charity. You're not burning those calories. And so you're more restful. Give, Jesus says. Give up that right and give them more than they may deserve. Isn't it great? You don't have to be all-knowing in order to be generous. Be willing to give to anyone that is in need when God awakens your heart to that in the moment. And he says, and when you do end up saying, hey, you know what? I am going to give. He says, be generous about it. If you decide to give, then go give it what you can, the most you can. Third here, third and finally, receiving generous justice from God empowers us to seek it for our enemies. 
which is just what I was alluding to. Receiving generous justice from God is what empowers us to seek it for our enemies, to want to do good to our enemies. And this is what Christians should be known for across the planet. But listen, now I know what you're thinking. Generous justice is this really great concept, but Jesus is just asking way too much of me. I mean, nobody can actually live this way in the real world, right? You know, to live this way, that's going to look like you're weak. You're going to get taken advantage of sometimes if you live the Jesus way. I mean, who can actually do this? And, by, and besides, what difference is this really going to make on my neighbors? What really difference is this going to make in my society or in the world? Will living this way actually change people who are wicked and evil and lead to flourishing? Now, that's a, those are a lot of cynical questions, and I totally understand them, because those are all the questions that I ask. I get it. But let me back up and answer the very first one that was asked. Can we actually live this way in the real world? And the answer is yes. Yes, we can. See, when you and I have personally experienced God's grace, his undeserved mercy, it changes us. It changes us. At a bare minimum, we'll at least want to want to live this way in the world. You understand what I'm saying? We'll at least want to live this way. And beyond that, we will make small progress, little by little, like two millimeters a day. But we'll make progress. We will. That's the power of the gospel. That's the that's difference when hearing the good news of Jesus and saying, I've actually encountered it. I've been a recipient of it. See, here is the gospel. Here is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself lived everything he is teaching us for our good. He's not just some like wise sage that got enlightened on a mountain and didn't do any of this stuff. He did it all. He went first. Good leaders go first. And he went first. He lived all this stuff out for our sake. Jesus was abusively insulted and his character was slandered. And though he had the right to what? Call down a legion of angels on his enemies, right? Our Lord, our Lord offered his other cheek to his enemies. Jesus didn't have merely his tunic taken, but his outer garment as well. Oh, and his headdress and his loincloth and his dignity as a young man. He, and he offered it. He offered more, right? He said, no, this is my life. They think they're taking it. My enemies think they're taking it, but I'm laying it down, and I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up. They think they're in control because I'm taking a loss. I'm in control. Do you guys get this? This is the gospel. He offered everything he had, all of his clothing, all of his headdress, all of it. Why? So that you and I could be covered from our shame forever and ever. We could be fully clothed. That's why he did it. Jesus had a soldier force him not to merely walk a mile, but to do so after being scourged uh, a, a farce of justice. If there was ever anyone experienced a complete miscarriage of justice, it was Jesus Christ. 
and to walk that mile with a crossbeam on his bloody back. That's going the extra mile more than you and I will ever do. Right? Jesus saw our great need for mercy. He saw what we need. We were asking for this and we were asking for that. And he said, you know what you need? You need mercy. That's what you need. And you need love. And you need grace. That's what you, that's your greatest needs. And Jesus gave it to us. He gave it to us. He like gave it to us. Though we didn't deserve it. Though we didn't have a job. Moreover, Jesus gave mercy before we even asked. He says, if, it, if anyone asked, he said, why? Because I did it and you didn't even ask. And I knew you needed it, so I'm giving it to you. That's your Jesus. That's our Lord. We had no righteousness of our own, so he lent us his righteousness. He said, put that on and wear that. Isn't he the greatest lender? He's the greatest lender we'll ever meet. And he lent us his own righteousness that we, he already knew, you can't possibly pay me back. I was going to lend. In fact, you know what? I just give it to you. That's how Jesus lands. He lands like he's just going to give it to you. Isn't that great? Isn't he good? Do you see how generous Jesus has been to you? Yes, you. Specifically you. Not someone out there somewhere. See, you guys, like I, you, I, we long. We long for the day of justice when God will set all wrongs to right. But if we're being honest, if we're being honest, we have done wrong ourselves. Amen? And we have wronged real people made in the image of God. And we have wronged God. Amen? I know I have. So I want you just to think about this the next time you want to take revenge. Let this play out in your mind. As much as we want others to atone for their wrong, for our wrong against them, right? Let me say that again. As much as we want others to atone for their wrongs against us, they are at that same time, wherever they're at, they are wanting us to atone for our wrongs against them. And they're sending up cries to God. At the same time, you're sending up cries to God for justice. And guess what? The Bible says that God listens to every cry of justice. Right? So here's my question. How will we stand on that day of justice when it comes and not be totally wiped out? Because God's listening to them as much as he's listening to me. What's your defense? You're going to want... You're gonna want pure, perfect justice on that day? How, how do we not get wiped out? It's only because Jesus has offered to us, he has extended his hands to us with a real generous justice, not a letter of the law justice. He went to the purpose of the law. That's how he lived his life. It's only because he chose not to flex his right in that specific situation, which is a pretty big situation, Right? That's why when we had wronged him, when we had offended him, it's only because he chose to temporarily suffer when we did wrong to him. Because he's not coming back in weakness, okay? That's not how the sequel is going to play out, okay? 
He came in gentleness. First Peter, the apostle says, First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-one. This is to the church. He says, "For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps." He committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus says, flourishing are those that show mercy. Why? For they will be shown mercy on the day of justice. Flourishing are the meek. Let these words of Jesus uh, make your notion of justice feel just a little bit uncomfortable after today. Let them challenge maybe uh, your simplistic categories of like right and wrong. There is a better way for us to be in the world that brings life and flourishing. When you and I, when we are continually, when we are regularly exposed to the gospel of mercy and we are exposed to the gospel of grace, it does something. It changes our wanter. You know what I'm saying? Which is why I try to preach the gospel every week. When you get exposed to that, it changes what you want the most. And so when we do justice, when we do act justly, it will be tinged with mercy. Our justice will be topped off with some restraint. Our justice will be a generous justice that actually seeks the good and the flourishing of our offenders instead of a justice that looks to just annihilate them. Just like Jesus sought our flourishing and not our annihilation from the cross. Any good? I want to be like Jesus. Let's pray and ask for help. I love you guys. And Jesus, I love you so much. And I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, these are, these are hard and difficult things to hear, but they're so um, powerful. Lord, help us um, live your way. Help us be your way in the world. That all people may be attracted to you and want to give up their life to you. Lord, where we have acted in revenge, we've acted in wrath and anger, Lord, forgive us. Where we need to make amends, Lord, help us make amends. Help us seek justice in a way for our enemies that might actually um, change them, do good for them. For you have acted that way towards us, and we love you. We love you. Let it be your way. In Jesus' sacred name we pray. Amen.